Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology. We retell the story and have a chat about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Every time I try to do that, just a little bit different. Welcome along to episode number twenty. Nine of Fireside. We are coming to you as always from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network in Dublin. I'm delighted to be with you. Will to be with you here again this week. If you are a new listener, thank you so much for listening. Have a listen to this episode. If you enjoy it, go right back to the beginning and listen to what we've been building up as we take our wild journey through Irish folklore and mythology and if you're a returning listener as always thank you so much for your continued support please do continue to subscribe on iTunes to leave ratings comments, uh, tell your friends, upload it to your stories on Instagram, follow me at Olahan Solo O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O all one word, do whatever you can to support this podcast in any way or don't just continue to listen because your listenership is its own support in itself and I hope you're enjoying listening to it as much as I'm enjoying doing it if you want to really support this podcast you can do so at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast we're trying to take this podcast live in the coming months and we cannot do so without that support if anyone is feeling particularly generous we are back on folklore this morning from when I'm recording it. It might not be morning whenever you're listening to it. This is a story that's obviously called The Fairy Horses, which you'll know from the title if you clicked on this through that. Uh, it's a great it's a great name. This is a tale from the county of Cavan. This is a tale that comes another one from that brilliant book I got uh, on uh, Irish Gothic fairy stories by Steve Lally and Paula Flynn Lally. This, the book has been fantastic for both its own stories and also for inspiration for other stories. It has mentioned tales in its introductions to each chapters that I've then gone off and have led me down other rabbit holes. So I'm hugely indebted to this book. And this is another story that I liked from it. Why... How I've how my selection process for this story came about was that book has a different it has a different story for each 
uh, for each county in Ireland. And so I've basically been going through them through my association with the counties, starting off with Wicklow, where I'm from, which was more of a dialogue conversation between an old man and an old woman, so it wasn't really useful for the purposes of this podcast. Then to Cork and Limerick, where my mother's family are from, which we had both. We had the Tobacco Quest from Cork. We had uh, Dano or the Devil from Limerick. And one of my more recent escapades since I got back from my travels around America has been a little thing called Bingo Loco, which are these bingo club nights. They're basically a rave built around a bingo game for lots of different prizes. This has been an incredible thing. I've been doing it since the end of the last year as an MC and presenter, telling a few tales and guiding people through the evening. Uh, actually, much like fellow, there's two other two other head stuff podcast hosts are also presenters at it. Marcus O'Leary, <coughs> who does In the Shower with Taz and Marcus, and Tom Moran, who does Personality Bingo. Never say I don't cross-promote and plug E lads. We all act as hosts to Bingo Loco, and it is, really, it is really having a moment at the moment. It has exploded all around the country and abroad. It has been to America and Australia and further afield, and I've been delighted to be a part of it. But uh, why I mention it now, its association with my quest through folklore, as not connected as it might seem, is that it's taken me, it's already taken me all around the country. We've been doing, I did most of my early ones around Dublin, but in the last month, in the last two months, I've seen, I've seen some counties of the country that I've never been to before. Some I have, but some I haven't. And two that I hadn't been to before that I gigged in in the last week were Monaghan and were Cavan. And the, those old ancient rivals. My knowledge of Monaghan and Cavan beforehand had previously been through the work of Patrick Cavanagh, who is one of, if not my favourite Irish poet since studying him for the Leaving Cert in school. Any foreign listeners who might not know that name, please do look up Patrick Cavanagh. He is renowned for being able to turn the mundane into the poetic and the the mythic. He was uh, the son of a farmer from County Monaghan and grew, you'll definitely know know his poetry. You will know most most famously of all, no doubt, is his poem on Raglan Road, which would become the song. Uh, Raglan Road was set to music later on in life and but he's many, 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 many other poetry pieces of poetry. Sorry, I can't speak this morning. <coughs> but he was from Monaghan, and he wrote his his one and only real novel, which is a beautiful book called Tarry Flynn, uh, which is fairly loosely autobiographical of his of his life. Uh, but in Tarry Flynn, quite interestingly enough, he sets the he sets the story in the rival county of Cavan. And there's plenty of jokes against Monaghan when it would, in reality would be the reverse way around, which makes it even more of a humorous and interesting read. But that, that Patrick Cavanagh's background to Monaghan and Cavan was basically my only experience of these two counties prior to doing Bingo Loco in them over the last couple of weeks. And it was Cavan most recently. I was down did a bit of a bingo, had a couple of pints. And so when I was researching this week's folklore story, I decided I'd have a look 
at the Cavan and Monaghan tales, and it was the Cavan tale that particularly caught my eye that I very much enjoyed. It was fresh but familiar. There was elements that I recognised. There was elements that we've had before, but it felt like a new story and a new thing to talk about and a new element. So I've talked and I've rambled way too much than I normally do in the introduction. We'll talk more after the tale itself. But this is The Fairy Horses on Fireside. The Fairy Horses As anyone who has spent any decent amount of time in the Irish countryside will know, one of the most fascinating and yet treacherous things one can encounter is the peat bog. Ireland has more bogland relative to its size than anywhere else in Europe, mainly because it never stops bloody raining. Despite being similar in appearance, there are two very distinct kinds of bog. There are the expansive blanket bogs, found in particularly high or wet areas. The ones in Ireland are nearly all on the western coasts of the island in Connacht, southwest Munster and northwest Ulster. Contrary to popular belief, these bogs are all man-made. The other kind is the raised bog, found in the lowland areas. These are nearly all located in the centre of Ireland, in parts of Connacht and Ulster, but nearly entirely in the Midland counties of Leinster. These are also all... The dangers of bogs are found in the bog holes and marshland that appear as normal, albeit damp grass, that without warning can swallow a person whole. Why people risk this is to harvest the valuable fuel of peat, or turf, which is burned to warm Irish homes even to this very day. There was once a young girl named Sally McLennan, who was sent out to fetch a bag of turf in the Salahan Bog near Loch Gauna in the Ulster County of Cavan. It was the perilous time of dusk, when peat bogs should be avoided at all costs. The bog holes are hard enough to spot on the brightest and clearest of days and next to impossible at night, but the impetuous Sally ventured out nonetheless and tragically stepped into a bog hole and drowned. The McLennan family were distraught when Sally never came home. Father, mother and son Mihal led a search party up to the Salahan bog to find out what had happened to her. Something can be lost in a bog and will never be found again. In fact, 2,000-year-old bodies have been found fully preserved by the mysterious bogland. However, after an arduous two-week search, the body of Sally McLennan... Her family wept for their girl, but found solace in knowing exactly what had happened to her, and that they could at the very least give her a proper burial. Perhaps the weight of Sally's death weighed most heavily on her brother Mihal. He was only a year older than Sally, and they had been very close. He felt guilt at the fact that it had been Sally who had gone out to the bog that day. It should have been me, he thought to himself. If I had gone, Sally would still be here. He kept his guilt to himself, not wanting to add further to the grief surely being felt by his parents. As well as the emotional weight, Mihal also had to take on the physical responsibilities that he and his sister had previously shared. 
Only a couple of days after the wake, funeral and burial of Sally, Michal McLennan found himself heading back to the Salahan bog to fetch another bag of turf. Michal was much more careful than his sister. He went at the brightest part of the day and trekked across the soggy terrain one careful step at a time. He collected piece after piece of dried turf and put it in the potato sack he had brought with him. When the sack was good and full, Michal turned around to return home when standing in front of him was his sister, Sally. Michal froze to the spot. He might have sank into the bog right then and there, but he couldn't think of anything else as his eyes were fixated on the apparition of his dead sister before him. She looked as he remembered her, but she seemed sad and troubled. Suddenly, Sally attempted to speak. Michal! 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 This was too much for her brother. Grabbing the potato sack at his feet, Michal ran as fast as his feet would carry him, squelching through the wetland, throwing caution to the wind, attempting to keep even one eye on the bog holes all around him. When he arrived back home, Michal didn't say a word of what he had seen to his parents. Rather, he went straight up to his bedroom and attempted to sleep. But of course he couldn't. He lay awake all night, confused and tormented by what he had seen. Was it a ghost? Was Sally alive? Was this a stage of grief that he had not been warned about? His paranoia reached a critical point when right at the darkest point of his sleepless night, Michal began to hear the sound of galloping horses outside the bedroom window. Louder and louder they approached. It sounded like there was an entire horde of them, like the warrior clans he had read about in stories. Just when he thought to go to the window to investigate, in the midst of the sound of hoof on road, Michal once again heard Sally's voice. Michal, Michal, Michal. The sound of his sister kept Michal away from the window. He pulled his bedsheets over his head, pressed his pillow to his ears, and attempted to block out the sound of it all. Michal was now convinced he was going mad with grief, but he had to be sure. So early the next morning, Michal McLennan returned to the peat bog. Sure enough, once again his sister appeared before him. Michal attempted to muster the courage to speak, but found all he could do was reach out to touch Sally. But right at that moment he should have made contact, Sally McLennan vanished from sight. This time when Michal returned home, he decided to tell his parents what had happened. He no longer believed he was going mad, but rather that there was treachery afoot. He feared that his grief-stricken parents would not believe him, but to his great relief, both of them did. Michal had always been a trustworthy boy, never one to indulge in fantasies. So even if they had their doubts, both Mr. and Mrs. McLennan heard their son out. When Michal had finally finished his tale, the father had an idea. We should go to see Tommy the She-Dog. He's the wisest man in Cavan. He's the biggest fool in Cavan, said the mother. He claims he lived with the fairies for twenty years. Well, maybe he did. He's the only one I can think of who'll hear us out. And if there's even the slightest chance of getting our daughter back, won't you give it a try? Okay, let's go see Tommy. Tommy the she-dog lived in Mullahoran, 
and when Michal and his father arrived at his wee cottage, they could hear a voice speaking inside. They knocked on the door. Come in, said the old voice on the other side. Father and son entered the cottage only to discover the only person inside was Tommy himself, sitting in an armchair by a snug turf fire. Who are you talking to, Tommy? said the father. Why, the good people, of course. I hope we're not interrupting. Not at all. Now tell me why you've come to see me. Michal told Tommy the she-dog all he had seen, and with Tommy listening intently. When Michal finished, Tommy sat back in his chair, took a deep breath, and then sat forward again and spoke. Your sister never drowned at all. The body you found and buried was a fairy changeling. They took the opportunity to trade one of their dead for a lovely, young, healthy mortal. Michal, your sister is trying to reach out to you. You must return to the bog again, but this time don't attempt to touch her, to speak to her. Just listen to the girl and see what she says. It was a lot for the two men to take on board. But again, if there was even the slightest chance of getting Sally back, any of the MacLanans were going to try. That night, as Michal lay in bed, he heard the sound of the horses riding by his window again, and Sally calling out his name. Michal! 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 It took everything in his power for Michal not to run outside the house to answer Sally's call. It was what Tommy the Sheedog had said. He had to return to the bog. He couldn't risk anything else. Morning came, and as soon as the mist was settled, Michal ran back to the Salahan bog near Lakgauna. On cue, the vision of Sally appeared. Michal didn't speak or reach out to her. He just stood his ground and looked in his sister's eyes, giving her a look that said he was there for her and that he was no longer afraid. Sally spoke. Michal, I didn't drown. I was spirited away by the other folk and I'm forced to ride with them on their fairy horses every night. We pass by our family home each time at midnight. The only chance of escape I have is if you wait for me outside our house and pull me off my fairy mount. You'll only get one chance, though. If you miss, they'll kill us both. I know it's a lot to ask. Whatever it takes, said Michal. And with that, the young boy ran home and told his parents the plan. They were initially extremely hesitant, fearing that they might lose Michal as well. But they were so proud of their son's newfound courage and selflessness, they agreed to do all they could to help. Mr. McLennan gave Michal a black-handled knife, which was known to protect mortals from fairies. That night, father and son waited on the gable of the roof of the house for the fairy horde to ride by. Mrs. McLennan stood by the door with a candle in her hand, watching her boys. Midnight came, and like clockwork, they could hear the approaching sound of hooves, an incredibly fast and close-knit band of massive horses with tiny riders drove past the homestead. As they kicked up a cloud of dust around them, it became impossible for Michal to see a thing. He tried to spot Sally, but couldn't make anyone out until he spotted it. A brilliant white mare, with a rider taller than any other. It was Sally. 
Michal leapt from the gable and grabbed Sally by the leg. Their father then grabbed onto Michal and pulled his two children to safety. But all was not well yet. One of the fairy riders had seen what had happened. He turned around and rode his horse towards Michal. He meant to trample the boy to death. But Michal MacLanan got to his feet, pulled the black-handled knife from his belt, jumped up and plunged it into the fairy rider's gut. Pulling the knife away, green blood began to spill as the rider hollered in pain when mount and rider suddenly vanished. The fairy horses were gone and Sally MacLanan was returned. All was well. The MacLanans were overjoyed to have their daughter return safely. Sally was never careless near those bogs again, and Michal was allowed to keep the black-handled knife to mark the day he had become a hero and rescued his sister. Fortunately, he never needed to use it again. The End And there we have the story of the fairy horses on Fireside. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. As you can see, there's a couple of elements that have reminded me of other stories, and but ultimately an incredibly fresh tale. My initial favorite thing about doing the stories was getting to talk about bogs. That was probably the introduction to the little bit of a background about Bogland in Ireland is probably the part of the story that is the most my own, my my own, my own into trying creating the world of this. It is very Tolkien-esque, the dead marshes that Gollum takes Frodo and Sam across in. It's the Two Towers, isn't it? It's not the Return of the King. It's the Two Towers that cross the dead marshes. Marsh Marshland and Bogland is in, sorry, knock the mic there. Marshland and Bogland is, of course, in many countries, but Ireland is really known for it. We have been dependent on it. It is everywhere. Wicklow is not one of the more particularly boggy or marshy counties, but there is still quite a bit, there is still a bit of it. I, for one, have fallen into a bog hole twice in my life, and I can tell you it is not something I would recommend. It is a truly terrifying experience it looks like you're just walking along on wet grass like you'll always be like up to your feet in wet grass and then suddenly you'll be underwater you can go right up to your head if you're lucky if not you can go even further down and unless you have someone right to hand to pull you right out it is worse than any kind of quicksand that is all she wrote when it comes to you people have died many many times in bogs in fact i touched on that briefly a lot of some of ireland's greatest artifacts and fossils have been found in ireland's bogland lots of things that are in our oldest artifacts in our musicians these ancient brooches or chalices or cups so many of these were is boglands that they were found in including yes a fully preserved 2000 year old man presumably he wasn't 2000 years old when he died but he's 2000 years old plus now but his his preserved form, or he looks like a piece of beef jerky now anyway, was found. And where was it found? In in a bogland. So yeah, needless to say, if you fall into one of those, that very easily could be the story of you. And what an interesting basis for a story. You know, when so many of these folktales, especially the ones about the fairies, 
They undoubtedly have rooted in cause to be cautionary tales, to be moral, to have morals, to be fables almost. And you can see why this story would have become popular around places where there was Bogland, you know, a cautionary tale of why to avoid Bogland. And of course, we have here another case of a changeling. And yes, it seems usually the changeling, it happens early on in a child's life uh, where a baby is replaced by a fairy, by an old fairy to live out as a kind of form of hospice care. If they replace it with a, with, a, with a fairy at all, sometimes they can replace it with a log or an inanimate object that the mother can't tell um, what is. But here we have, does Sally fall in the lake at all or in the bog at all? Uh, or is this just the version or did the family just find the body of the fairy they probably did just find the changeling body that the fairies put there as they kidnapped the young girl that is another big contribution any pogues fans i'm sure will have well noticed so in the original story it is just uh, the name michael is the only name mentioned there's no name for the mother father and there's no name for the sister and I didn't like that at all. So I don't know why. When it was Michael, I wanted to change it to Hall. I wanted to make it a bit more Irish. And just the name Sally just jumped out at me. I wanted... She felt like she was a Sally. And then when she was Sally, I said, I'll make her Sally McLennan. So, which is the name of one of the most famous Pogue songs. Sally McLennan being the name of a stout, I believe, is where that story came from. It's one of the Pogues' great original tunes. And who hasn't listened to it, go listen to it. Just that album in general, to be honest, it is an album called Rum, Sodomy and The Lash, which if is not the greatest name for an album you've ever heard, I don't know what is, comes from an old Winston Churchill quote about the Navy, where he said that the Navy was nothing but Rum, Sodomy and The Lash. Incredible quote, incredible source, great band, great name, back of the net. So yes, I wanted to make these the Maclanans, regardless of that was an Irish or a Scottish name. I wanted this family to be this Cavan family here, set in this bogland. And this incredible image of these fairy horses riding by at midnight every night. I'm sure this was a sound heard by many children. Anything at night when it comes to storytelling is, of course, incredibly vivid because you imagine stories being told by fireside, stories being told at bedtime to children, to each other. So people would then lie in bed, lie back, looking up at the stars, camping wherever they are after they're being listened to the stories and listening to the sounds all around them, like the fireside sounds that play when I tell these stories. One other element of this story that is great that I haven't encountered before is the black-handled knife. That, that side of things. We've got some fairy murder here, which is class. It's nice to know that fairies drip green blood. This is my first encounter of that. But that this is a thing that I'm going to look out for now from now on in Irish folklore is this idea of a black-handled knife. Is this a thing that was well-known? Is this a thing that appears in various different stories? Or is this just here, this black-handled knife that is used to plunge into the gut of a fairy rider? We don't get a huge we don't get any background as to what kind of fairies these are, except that they are of the smaller persuasion. It's hard to get a through line because there are so many different kinds, there are so many different species of fairy 
especially in Irish folklore. Some of them are very tall, some of them are very, very small. There is the image of fairies, and especially with leprechauns and everything, of them being small, as they are here, usually about two foot tall. But a lot of the time, a lot of the fairies of Irish folklore are adult-sized, which is terrifying. Somehow them being adult-sized makes them so much larger than normal adults. It was like if you saw a dog the same size as a person. How much bigger than a person would it seem to you? And now just... I'm going to leave you with that image of giant dogs. No. <coughs> Beg your pardon. We also have Tommy the She-Dog here, who is this wise old man who's talked to the fairies. Can I just give an absolute disclaimer there and apologize to absolutely any and everyone from Cavan for my ropey, to say the least, attempt at a Cavan accent there. I don't know why I dove in. I suppose because I dove in for pretty much everything else, but I think everyone else I've had some kind of basis before. But when this, all I've got to go on is having seen productions of Terry Flynn and having one friend from Cavan, which incidentally is, his name is Manus Halligan. And I don't think he listens to this podcast, but sure, what the hell, we'll dedicate this episode to him as he is my one, the one Cavan man that I know. Actually, when I had to do the gig in Cavan at the weekend, I texted Manus and I said, I have to do a gig in Cavan tonight, give me some Cavan-related facts or humour that, you know, an outsider wouldn't be shot for saying. And apparently uh, the stereotype for Cavan is that they're notoriously tight people, which was, of course, wonderful to know, but very dangerous to toy with if you're emceeing a gig there for the first time. You don't want to call your entire audience mean or tight. But I did get at least one time when there was one person who kept losing markers for marking down her bingo card to the point where it just looked like she was hoarding them. I told her that she was tighter than a closed vice, which actually did go down very well, so I got at least one reference to that in. So thank you, Manus for getting straight back to me. This episode's for you, kid. So I will wrap this up here before I start to ramble. This has been a shorter episode than the last couple of myth ones and folktale ones for sure, but better than being short and concise than rambly and emmy and ae, as I'm given out to by my friend and devout listener Rory O'Connor frequently. Hello, Rory. Sorry for the M's and likes. I'm only human. But thank you so much for continuing to listen, each and every one of you. Thanks to everyone at the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thank you to Jamie, my producer. And once again, thank you to all of you for continuing to listen. If this was your first time, I hope you enjoyed it. Why not go back to the beginning and see what we're building up to? If not, if you're your returning listener, thank you so much again. All the thank yous. Tell everyone you know, tell your friends, we're building this podcast. It's growing and growing, but it cannot do so without your continued support. I've been Kevin Siolahan. I will see you all next time, and you will hear me all next time on the fireside, or even by the fireside. Thank you, and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.